My name is Lex, and this week on Spidey Signals, me and my co-host Alex discuss the Clone Saga, Spider-Man's status quo, and whether or not comic books were even a good idea in the first place. Get ready to experience maximum clonage, whatever that is, because it's time for Spidey Signals. Welcome back to Spidey Signals, the podcast where two guys with the same name talk about Spider-Man. I'm Lex. And I'm Alex. Last week, we talked about uh, Spider-Man, the 1977 TV movie extravaganza. Mm. What an extravaganza that was. Something. That was. Yeah, that's uh, I've already done what I can to push it out of my memory. Uh. On Halloween, which was uh, only about two days ago from when we were recording this, uh, I watched Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which is a movie I'd never seen before. Uh, it's, it's not good. But no, in, the not. Opening, in the opening credits, who, who would I see but our old friend Michael Pataki, who is Captain Barbera? It was, was a Halloween miracle. It was. It was a Halloween miracle. I sent. I sent it. DM to Alex. I was like, "What the fuck? I found it. What? What is he doing here?" I was. I like straight up. Like, was completely shocked that he was in other films. Who is this Michael Myers character? He. Yeah, he was like one of the doctors that talks to Loomis. He's not in the movie much, but it's like, hey, I remember you. <laughs> it's. it's that's a, exciting. Like, it's a real Michael Pataki time of year. It's a real Michael Pataki time of the year. But anyway, we've got much more pressing matters to talk about. We sure uh, do. We're talking about in for me, I it, it it's only I only glimpsed a small portion of it. But this week we're going to try to talk about the Clone Saga. The infamous Clone Saga. The infamous Clone Saga. It is almost necessary to attach. This uh is a I don't even know what to call a storyline, I guess. Yeah. It's so like broad that you can't really describe it as anything other than just like a group of stories that all have a similar thing. Cause it's not like a big story, like wine line wide event because yeah. it's like they had other stuff going on at the same time. It, it dominated essentially all four of the running books for about a year and a half, close to two years. Yeah. So this was released over, Two years from October of 1994 to December of 1996, but because we're not going to read two years of four different comic lines because we're not crazy people, uh, Alex picked out six issues that basically lay out the beginning of the run, uh, and then once we get through that, Alex is going to describe to me... Uh, basically what happens in the rest of the Clone Saga. So... For me specifically, and also Alex, uh, the comics we actually read this week are Amazing Spider-Man 149, uh, which came out in the 70s and was sort of a precursor to this storyline. The Power and Responsibility story arc that take place uh, over Web of Spider-Man 117, Amazing Spider-Man 394, Spider-Man 51, and Spectacular Spider-Man 217. And then right after that, there was one more story that sort of introduces uh, Ben Riley as the Scarlet Spider, and it's Web of Spider-Man 118. 
These comics were written by Jerry Conway, Terry Cavanaugh, our old friend, J.M. DeMattis, Howard Mackey, and Tom DeFalco. Uh, and the artwork for them was done by Ross Andrew, Stephen Butler, Mark Bagley, Tom Lyle, and Sal Bushima. Really good mix of, of writers and artists on this that I like a lot. Yeah. Specifically, there, there's one comic in particular. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's ASM uh, 394. Uh, that's the Jam DeMattis one, and that's easily the best one because mm-hmm. I'd say he's the best writer out of this bunch. The letters are by Annette Kaweki. I think I'm saying that right. Steve Dutro, Joe Rosen, Richard Starkings, and Clem Robbins. And the coloring uh, is by Janice Cohen, Kevin Tinsley, and Bob Sharon. Uh, I guess we can go into personal experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any personal experiences with the Clone Saga. It's one of those, like Craven's Last Hunt, it's one of those stories that you hear a lot about. Uh, only in, in this case, it's almost entirely a, a negative things that you hear about. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that you, it's, it's infamous. You know, you hear about how it was an incredibly long storyline that like tore the Marvel uh, bullpen apart because everyone had different ideas of what to do with it and nobody knew how to end it. And it ended up going way longer than it needed to and it ended up, you know, fucking up uh, Spider-Man comics tremendously for a very long time. Uh, But it it was certainly interesting to finally get through it, even at least a very small portion of it. Uh, Alex, you're, you're much more knowledgeable about the clone saga what are are your sort of personal experiences with it for a majority of my life i was only familiar with broad swaths of it um i I knew more like ben riley as a costume than a character because it's a lot more strikingly like visually different than the spider-man suit yeah uh very early in quarantine uh or maybe even like in the six or so months preceding it i was spending a lot of time at the library in the town i lived in in iowa and they had at one point, all five volumes of uh, the collected uh, like trade paperbacks for for rental. And I remember distinctly getting the first three in order and someone then checked out the fourth one and didn't turn it back in for like all of quarantine. Uh, I, I guess I could have read it online at some point, but I just kind of fell off of it. So I've I've only read 60 to 70 percent of the Clone Saga. I never finished what's collected, but. Honestly, at the point where I stopped reading, it was at getting really convoluted and stupid, so it wasn't some great big loss for me. I do say this, um, admittedly, as a self-described fan of the Clone Saga. I think Ben Riley's an interesting character. I really like where it goes in the in the first few issues, first few arcs. Uh, I do think a lot of it is stupid, and some of the characters they made up and came up with for this go nowhere and do nothing. Uh, We'll talk about him, but like Judas Traveler, I think is just about the biggest example of that. Uh, it, it's it's weird, it's wild, and it's wacky, and it's not the pinnacle of Spider-Man storytelling. But I do think that it deserved coverage on this show where we're talking about like good arcs and more maligned arcs, and this is this is something that had to be talked about, I guess. Yeah, uh, there's I, there's. I am a fan. There's a lot to talk about here, uh, and the issues that you picked out. I mean, the, obviously, they make the most sense because they they are the sort of the uh, the issues that m- establish this story g- line going forward that you'll elaborate on after we finish talking about them. But I don't really have much to say about them. Most of these issues are. I'm going to just say right now, most of these issues are kind of boring. 
There's not a whole lot that really grabbed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the ones I have the most on are Amazing Spider-Man 394 and Web Spider-Man 118. Uh, but the rest of these are just kind of like I have like three or four notes max for each issue. Yeah, it's these aren't terribly exciting ones, but they do uh, set the stage for everything else that happens. I don't know how this episode is going to pan out compared to uh, lengthwise. We, you know, we're covering six issues of material here, plus a little extra. But I'm not going to go into a, like a, a, a overkill, bore you to tears exposition of what happens over the rest of the Clone Saga. Just enough to tell you the story. So now, you know, but oh, it's we're, we're going to get into it. It gets a little all over the place. But yeah, if if you're ready, I'm happy to go into it. Yeah, let, let's 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 dive into this. Let's go into the plot. So we're starting all of this off uh, with a bit of a throwback um, from the rest of the series. This is really the seed of where everything starts in Amazing Spider-Man 149. Uh, did you have a year published on that? I, I I don't have it written down on me right in front of what I'm looking at. Uh, 70s, 1970, right? 1975. Yeah, there we go. A pre-Star Wars world of, of science fiction. Uh, this is this is still about two years removed from the death of Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in the throes of the Jackal plotline. Uh, this is part of a continuing story where the Jackal has revealed his identity to be that of Peter Parker's biology professor, Miles Warren. He's knocked out Spider-Man and uh, taken him t- and Ned Leeds, who is still alive at this point, to his secret lab. Uh, that's where... The, the, the f- the first thing I immediately in this flashback sequence, the first thing I wrote uh, was Bronze Age comics were like so wordy, like there's oh, just yeah. blocks and blocks of massive walls of text to read about shit. And like mm-hmm. it already exhausted me by the time we finished the flashback explaining how Peter got in this situation. There, There's some really goofy shit in this issue, and it starts off that way, and it just proceeds that way. There's this one moment later, like towards the end with, uh, with Professor Warren that just made me audibly go, oh god, what the fuck? I don't remember that. That's so stupid. But we'll get there. <laughs> um... When Spider-Man revives, uh, comes back up for air, uh, the Jackal tells him the genesis of his revenge plot in a very, like, Bond villain moment. How he secretly loved Gwen Stacy, and how when she died, he was devastated and blamed Spider-Man for her death. Yeah, he, uh, he, sa- he says that he, he thought of Gwen as, like, the daughter he never had, but, like, yeah. you could tell he totally wanted to fuck Gwen. This is not the spectacular Professor Warren, the the gat toting, no nonsense. I, dude, like I you. wish the spectacular Spider Man Miles Warren was in here because he'd be he'd be like, I'm gonna fucking shoot you with my gun. Yeah, this is the classic quote unquote weirdo pervert that we know and love. Question mark. Not not the cool guy. You would have gotten uh, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. This is not a man who deserves a a, a name in the history books career wise. He had um, Serba, uh, an assistant, I guess, uh, clone Gwen's DNA, unbeknownst to him, uh, to Serba, yeah. that is. He, he, like, faked him out, telling him it was some other animal tissue sample. Yeah, they were, they were like, doing clone experiments, and they had, like, successfully cloned Frog, and they're, like, uh, Miles Warren gives uh, Serba, like, this, this 
plate of like DNA that he had swabbed it from Gwen or what, I don't know when that happened, uh, but he had swabbed it from Gwen and it's like, here, here's like rat samples, go grow this. And it isn't until like the clone is finished that Serva realizes he's like, oh fuck, this is a person. Like, Yeah, Serva has a huge ethical like objection to this. Uh, and in, a, in an attempt to silence him from from canceling the experiment, uh, Warren inadvertently strangles Serba to death, breaks his and neck. Like, it's not very he like, clear. He like puts his hand over Serba's mouth, like trying to get him to shut up, and that somehow instantly kills him. Yeah, it's it's a very like we don't want to be EC Comics gross with this. Let's just have him oopsie daisy him to death. Whoops. Uh, his mind is becoming more unhinged, and uh, as he goes to dispose of the body of Serba, he, like, really coincidentally overhears a, like, a seminar on the Jackal. Uh, so he's like, yeah, that's cool. I'm the Jackal. That's me. Uh, <laughs> and he goes into this, well, he's he's telling Spider-Man all of this. We're still there. Uh, but he goes on to say, like, and I had to create a costume. And it's like, did you? Like, what What the fuck does that mean? You've had a psychotic break and now you're evil, but he's talking like this is totally like, well, you know, I had to make, I, I had to do this and that. And it's like, yeah, of course he did. Was any of this really necessary? That That's going to be that's going to be a theme that will <laughs> will crop up throughout this entire episode. Was any of this really necessary? Absolutely. It was. <laughs> um. The Jackal would then, uh, after having this costume created, this persona made up, he uh, inhabits it as a way to like cope with the things he's doing. And uh, he's got this clone of Gwen Stacy made and reconditions her to have the same memories as the original Gwen in the hopes of using her as like a, a tool and a pawn as, against Spider-Man. How does that even work? Uh, it's the 70s, so they, they have stuff like that now. You know, you know how Nick Hammond Spider-Man was like, well, you know, they do have the technology to make people believe stuff like that now. It's it's the 70s. There was a time for stuff like that. I guess you're right. Maybe, maybe it was the guru who showed up and showed him how to, <laughs> to re-implant false memories like Total Recall. Classic Guru Byron moment. But guru Byron. When uh, Spider-Man attempts to attack the Jackal again, the Jackal manages to get away. Uh, meanwhile, at the Daily Bugle, Betty Brant is upset because Ned and Peter have been missing for two days, uh, which just happens a lot, you know. Uh, as MJ, J. Jonah Jameson, and Robbie Robert or Joe Robertson, sorry, a name, you know, thing across the comics there, attempt to uh, comfort her, Peter suddenly enters the room, and good Spider-Man timing, and claims he has no knowledge of having seen Ned and hasn't seen him in a week. At the exact same time, uh, Peter Man, Peter Man, Jesus Christ, Peter Man, what the fuck is that slip up? Peter is in his uh, Spider-Man identity, web slinging over to Shea Stadium to meet the Jackal for a final confrontation. Go Mets, love the Mets. Nearly immediately, the Jackal drugs Spider-Man again, who is just not in top form in this comic. He's just getting drugged left and right. Apparently uh, not. He comes up once again to find that the Jackal has created an exact duplicate of him to fight. Already in costume, already with web shooters, there's a second Spider-Man here. Uh, to make matters worse, the Jackal has Ned Leeds tied to a bomb by the wrists, uh, primed to go off in just a matter of minutes. 
This is like an, an incredibly elaborate bomb because he's attached to the bomb, but the bomb can only be disabled by the quote unquote real Spider-Man, which it's like a biometric lock on it or something. It's like a bi- it's like a biometric lock, but they're genetically identical. And as we'll see, uh, actually, at, once I finished reading this issue, I actually, uh, in in all fairness, read the next issue after this. Just for mm-hmm. fun, just to see if they picked on, up on this at all, and they do. Where Peter like goes to Doctor Connors, and they like do these like incredibly intense scientific experiments to like try and figure out if uh, Peter is like the real Peter, or he's not a clone or whatever. And at the end of it, he like takes the file and like throws it away, and it's like ah. It's like, I already know I'm the real Spider-Man. And it's like, oh, you just open a fucking can of worms. They're going to bite you in the ass fucking 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, it's they a common thing across the the clone saga is the the fan backlash to the idea of whether or not Peter is the clone or not. The, the answer backflips and flip flops and changes and, and left and right. It's it's stupid, to be frank. Uh but yes. yeah, <laughs> uh, it's so stupid that they there's plot devices like biometric locks that only respond to Spider-Man on bombs. Um, in this in this little arena that the the Jackal has set up to have these Spider-Men fight each other, uh, he has the clone of Gwen with him uh, seated beside him, who is mortified that the Jackal is having these two Spider-Men murder each other. Uh, she she chews him out and gives him a what for verbally uh, that strikes a chord with Warren, who in like an incredibly poorly paced sequence, I guess, to, what to call it. Uh, Warren realizes there is no jackal and only himself, and he killed the people he's killed. And he snaps out of his like demented state and tries to redeem himself by freeing Ned Leeds, cutting his attachment from the bomb. Uh, he doesn't get clear of the bomb in time, which seemingly kills him. Uh, it's fucking like vaporized. It, it'll be revealed issues from now, decades from now, that this was like a second Miles Warren that another that the original Jackal made as like a genetic weapon to to confront Peter here. It doesn't. And I matter. hate. I fucking hate comic books. Yeah, nobody ever fucking dies. None of these people are dead when they Dude, die. Dude, I hate I hate comic it. books so much. It's the clone saga. It sucks. Already. Uh, but yes, we get a, a supposed death of the Jackal. Um, when the rubble clears, uh, the explosion uh, has collapsed of uh, quite a bit of the stadium, uh, seemingly killing the clone of Spider-Man with the seemingly real Spider-Man waking up. Um, it, there, There's attached to... It's never really explicitly stated. I, I don't remember where it is or not. But in the meantime, before the funeral, the quote unquote funeral that happens at the end here, uh, Spider-Man supposedly disposes of the body of the clone in a smokestack of a factory Um, attached to power and responsibility is this little four issue. They call it a Marvel flip book. It's it's just like a quick and loose little story that expounds on the Jackal and his creation of this clone from this issue. Uh, it also goes into a little more detail and shows Peter like dropping the body off in the incinerator, but it doesn't yeah. you know, quite get incinerated. I, uh, I did. I did not read that section. So I, yeah, I, it just it just seems like 
you know, it doesn't really matter how it it, he, yeah. he sh- it shook out. It's it's nothing context, you know, groundbreaking or anything, but it does illuminate a little more into that night and uh, does expound on the idea that Peter attempted to dispose of the body of the clone. Um, later, Peter and the Gwen clone are paying their respects to Gwen at the real Gwen's grave. Uh, there, the clone of Gwen tells Peter that she realizes she could never know him like the original did and decides that it is best for her to leave and never return. Peter has suspicions that he might be the clone. Uh, he's having a moral quandary about it and returns to his apartment, all sullen and hurt and Peter Parkery, and is shocked to find there's someone in the apartment. He rushes up to see who it is and is delighted to see that it's MJ. He lets himself in, and the two begin to make up for their fight. And this they ends... fuck. They fuck is what they do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Um, this is the end of this first issue, this introductory, like, first toe in the water of the clone saga. There is a neat little moment in that little four-part add-on to this that um, ends with, like, the clone going home after he wakes up from the smokestack and seeing that moment of Peter and MJ kissing and is like, oh, fuck, no, I'm the clone. Oh, God. Uh, which is interesting. But we we transition from that to the beginning of the power and responsibility arc, what begins the proper clone saga. Yeah. Uh, building up to this, there had been a like a mystery man arc. Um Love where some, someone ha- some dude in a brown jacket who we never saw from the neck up had been like calling to check on may who had recently had a stroke uh she's been hospitalized and who who is this weird man who is keeping up and checking on aunt may well he he physically visits the hospital and on the roof of the hospital in forest hills spider-man who is on the roof comes face to face with the mystery man who is peter parker Ooh. Ooh. After uh, after being manipulated a number of times in his weird long life, the uh, Spider-Man refuses to believe that this is anything but an imposter and attacks him with his fists immediately. Um, like, like I actually kind of like this fight scene. I think it's cool, even if like the central concept that will be revealed later on, where it's like the clone was the real Peter all along. Like that's really stupid. Yeah, it's and it was intended to be that like severe of a change too, but the fan backlash was way intense. And and like I I can already just immediately hear like this first issue of the entire saga. Uh I can already tell like what they're trying to do because Marvel's bullpen has like a two-prong quote unquote problem that they need to solve. Uh Problem number one is that lots of the Marvel bullpen like hate the fact that Peter is married. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing that has existed ever since Stanley was like, hey, sure, let him get married. I don't care. For some reason, having Peter as a single guy, I, some people consider that to be like a defining trait for him. Personally, I don't think it matters so much, uh, but th- that's that's me. My argument is that it is that Peter being married is one of the things that makes him stand out because, you know, like Batman never got married like mm-hmm. for a long period of time in the comics. Superman didn't all these other characters. Spider-Man would, would it add it adds another dimension to the realism of the character. It gives him stakes uh, It gives him stakes. It gives him stakes like I have a wife and eventually, you know, I they, they end up doing things to that 
that poor child, but it's you know I have a a, a kid that I'm gonna have. It, it adds more it adds more stakes to the character, and I, I think it's, For sure. it's that, that's why that's why when they did that renew your vows story a couple years ago, people were like really into it because it's like oh hey it's Peter and Mary Jane they're married again. It's like hey that's fun. Uh, but so they wanted to solve the problem of Peter the the problem quote unquote of uh Peter and MJ being married, which would eventually be solved by an even dumber solution uh in an episode that we'll be talking about later. Uh, and the the other problem that they had was that they wanted to like essentially like do a continuity reboot uh, and like try to simplify the character for new readers. Uh, and I guess that that that's sort of a, a an idea that really comes out of American comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you know if you have like something like like Japanese manga or something like that, where it's like where do you start? You start at issue one and you read everything. The state of Spider-Man, especially at the time with four different like book runs, was just fucking impossible to get into if you weren't versed in it. Yeah, with, with American comics, they're they're more about like the the property and it's it's like merchandising and like franchisement instead of uh, with lots of Japanese comics where it's it's focused entirely on the creator and if the creator is gone, the comic is over. Mm-hmm. Uh. So because of that, you know, if you want to start reading American comic books, it's like you have to pick what timeline you want to read in or like, you know, what what storylines you want to focus on. It's a whole goddamn mess. So that those two problems they wanted to solve. And so the idea of bringing in the clone from the 70s comic to replace. So like Peter and MJ could go off and have like their own little idyllic lives in suburbia or wherever, and the clone could come in as the quote unquote real Peter. Uh, and then, you know, have that new fresh continuity. It, it was, it was sort of like killing two birds with one stone, uh, except it was like trying to throw a grenade at a dove, but like you, <laughs> you fucked up and you dropped the grenade at your feet instead of throwing it at the dove and you blew yourself up. Yeah, it was, it was a, a fumble for the ages. Yes. Um, despite Spider-Man's efforts to stop this apparent imposter Peter Parker, uh, he has comparable spider powers to the the, the costumed one, and uh, he's a little rusty with the abilities, but he's very much not just like some guy pretending to be Peter, apparently, right off the bat. Uh, Spider-Man does ultimately knock his double here into a nearby warehouse where the fight continues, very convenient. Uh, all the while, the double is trying to talk sense into Spider-Man, calling him by name, uh, which, you know, angers and further pisses him off into, uh, you know, a, a blind rage that they continue to fight through. We cut from this to the Ravencroft Institute, which is going to be uh, a, a huge set piece for the rest of these uh, these four stories specifically, where we find uh, Dr. Kafka and John Jameson welcoming the arrival of the famous psychiatrist and psychologist Judas Traveler and his associates. These are like the most 90s-looking characters I've ever seen For in my sure. entire life. Judas absolutely looks like he has a, a van. He looks like the, the wizard on the van, airbrushed, that he owns, probably. Like, uh, like, like Judas, like the, first of all, the name Judas Traveler is stupid. It's like... He, oh, yeah. It's like somebody is like terrible band from the 90s that they had where they played like the college bar circuit. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's, 
and all the characters look like the worst kind of like Rob Liefeld, uh, Tom McFarlane, like just absolute epic badass 90s like gunk that like is absolutely (laughs) incredibly terrible and looks way out of place when you put it with a character like Spider-Man that was designed in the 1960s and essentially hasn't been changed very much because that's already a perfect design. These characters uh, are a big part of the problem people have with uh, the Clone Saga as a whole. Judas Traveler is introduced here. And he he pops up a little bit here and there throughout it, but they don't know what to do with him ever. He has and they no, don't really ex- and they don't really explain what he is. Is he like a wizard? He like has all kinds yeah. of like weird magic powers. He has like, like Orpheus powers and yeah, he uses they don't, them they, and fucks off at the end. They don't explain like if if what how he got these magic powers. He's just a guy named Judas Traveler uh, who looks like an uh, a side character on Buffy that yeah. just shows up and He's then like, like e- does some weird magic. Yeah, he looks like evil Edgar Winter. He shows up and he does weird magic shit and then he leaves and then that's the comic. And it's mm-hmm. it's not good. He he shows up with his students, Chakra, Boone, Mister Knot, Nacht, German for night, and Medea. Uh, just the, his little cavalcade of of badass '90s gunk characters, uh, just terrible. Who are taken on a tour of the facility? Um, we cut back to the you know New York City fight we're having here, where Spider Man continues attacking his apparent imposter. Uh, he's convinced he's some kind of artificial construct of some kind because this Peter doesn't set off his spider sense. That's a big deal. Um. He he takes some pause here, wondering why this other Peter is so interested in visiting Aunt May in the hospital, uh, which gives the double an opportunity to uh, pull off the mask from the original and explain that he is the clone from that 70s story all that time ago. Uh, realizing this is the pawn of the jackal, uh, the original Peter is angered and renews his attack on the clone who proceeds to try to further convince the original Peter that his days as Miles Warren's pawn are long over. He attempts to knock Spider-Man out, uh, saying he wants to be long gone by the time Peter wakes up. Peter's Uh, just really aggro, this whole whole set of, like, four issues. He's, like, super aggro, and I don't know why. Absolutely. I'm sure there's obviously backstory of, like, why he's like this. Uh for the the previous issues, but just like reading this on its own, like as the start as the start of a big comic event, like I don't understand the main character's mindset. It's like, ah, this is bad. Yeah, you caught him on a bad fucking day. Uh by this point, Kafka's tour of Ravencroft is over, and uh she leaves Judas Traveler and his students at the library to begin their work, whatever that may be. Having seen the facility. Uh, Traveler is satisfied that this will suit his needs for his ultimate experiment. Walking through one of the walls, he ends up in a cell occupied by the chameleon and remarks over his catatonic state, the result of a recent defeat at the hands of Spider-Man. Really, God, that's a cool little moment, I think. He, his, you know, face changing and stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the face changing doesn't come until, I think, the next issue. Uh, oh, yeah. But I yeah, have it in com- my notes that, oh, hey, chameleon's here. Yeah, community is cool. He next goes into Shriek's cell, where she attempts to attack Judas, 
However, uh, he subdues her easily, uh, sees the rage and pain that she's attempting to drown out with, you know, murderous thoughts about Spider-Man, and continues to another cell where he confronts Carnage, who is simply interested in starting a fight. Carnage is another uh, character from the 90s that I don't really like. Yeah, a lot of people either love or hate Carnage. I'm pretty ambivalent towards him. I, you know, ooh, more symbiotes. I've, uh, I've, I've never I've never like I haven't read a whole lot of Carnage stories, but just the, the general concept of Carnage irks me because it he, Carnage only exists because they, they fucked up Venom by making him an antihero. Uh, and so they're like, oh, shit, we have to make like another evil symbiote. Uh, let's make him like a crazy serial killer. There we go. That we can't redeem him. And there's potential there. I just think they kind of squandered it with him. I think it's just a stupid concept on its face. Yeah, to each of their own. Uh, Judas is able to separate Cletus from his symbiote with a mere hand gesture. Uh, and is surprised to see, you know, this yet another criminally insane individual whose life has been shaped and altered and taken over by hatred for Spider-Man. Uh, with this, he telepathically commands his students to put their plan into action in the hopes of drawing Spider-Man to their location. With that, uh, Chakra astral projects and sends like a ghostly vision of herself to contact Spider-Man while Boone goes outside to prepare for his arrival. Uh, in the security control room, Medea knocks out John Jameson while Mr. Nock takes control of the facility's security. Judas then enters Kafka's office and uses his powers to knock out Ashley, Kafka, and her assistant, Edward Wieland, who you might be somewhat familiar with from past episodes. We'll get to him in a bit. Get to him. At that moment, Spider-Man wakes up to discover that his clone is gone. He puts his mask back on and is uh, confronted by that astral projection from Chakra, who warns Spider-Man that Judas Traveler has taken over the Ravencroft Institute and tells him that if he chooses to do nothing, Traveler will kill everyone inside the facility. However, if Spider-Man manages to defeat Traveler, he will release all the prisoners upon society. Kind of a no-win situation. As it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma that, that, that they put here, but I, I just don't really utilize it very well. Yeah, and it, it, I thought to myself, it must be really convenient for Peter this time. Have, you know, he doesn't have to listen to a police radio. He doesn't catch them. It's just a ghost that comes to him and says, hey, shit's fucked. The, the ghost of, of plot propulsion. But it's convenient, if anything. Uh, as Spider-Man swings off for Ravencroft, the clone emerges from the shadows. He fears that Spider-Man is in no shape to face this danger alone and digs out an old Spider-Man costume he just has that he doesn't want to use. Uh, he puts on the mask and gloves anyway over his cool guy jacket. Uh, I have a jacket a lot like that. It makes me not want to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she is joined, uh, MJ, sorry, is, uh, on the street across from the hospital watching over, uh, Aunt May. She is joined by Aunt Anna, who came up from Florida after hearing the news of May's stroke. Um, when Anna asks MJ where Peter is, she struggles to give an answer to where he is and what is going on in his life at this time. Uh, from there, Spider-Man arrives at the Ravencroft Institute to find a strange psychic barrier erected around it. Not only are the authorities on the scene, uh, but Spider-Man is there to, uh, you know, give relief and is relieved to discover that Kafka and her staff were also released, not killed. 
with the wall crawler on the scene, Judas appears before them, and authorities open fire on him with tra uh, Traveler merely shrugging off the bullets. He, he reissues his challenge to Spider-Man, reminding him that if he does nothing at all, the prisoners in the facility will be killed. Unwilling to allow anyone to die, Spider-Man accepts Traveler's offer and enters the Ravencroft Institute, capping off this issue and taking us to uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 394 in the second part of the story. Which I said earlier is probably my favorite of this because uh, it's written by our, our good buddy, Jam DeMattis. Uh, you, can, you can really tell that there's lots of, of really good caption boxes like in Craven's Last Hunt, and it's a lot of like theatrical dialogue and things like that it's it's i i think the reason that i like dematis's writing so much is because it reminds me of uh sort of the 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 general theatricality that stan lee had a lot when he wrote mm -hmm. spider-man that sort of that grandiosity very introspective too yes that that that's also a thing that, that stan lee did a lot in the the original lee ditko run and I, I, I think that the Dematis carries that that flag well. Oh, yeah, his his fingerprints are all over this in the best possible way. Uh, in, in New York City, the clone of Peter is looking down on the city from the rooftops with a mind full of memories that he knows are not his, but those of the original Peter Parker. Uh, he believes that he's nothing more than a fraud and refuses to leave the bedside of May Parker, Peter's aunt, who is in a stroke coma. The, you know a comic coma they are indefinite and the worst uh meanwhile across the town uh authorities have gathered all around the ravencroft institute after it's been surrounded by that impenetrable force field from judas traveler they do a lot of that kind of catching up from the previous issue and these like interconnected cross book runs um dr kafka and john jameson the head of ravencroft security are all gathered outside Kafka is afraid, uh, considering the facility is filled with superpowered criminals, and it appears that the staff was teleported outside of the facility. Uh, that's when she realizes her assistant, Edward Wheeland, is not with them. He's inside, where Judas has him by the throat, assuring him not to be afraid. He demonstrates to his, uh, his assistants, Chakra and Mr. Noct, uh, that this is yet another example of the monsters that hide within humanity and eventually erode their way to the surface. He mentally probes Edward and causes him to transform into his alter ego Vermin again uh, in a pre... Uh, this is pre-Craven's Last Hunt, the story, uh, but I guess... No, it's, 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 oh, it's, it's post-Craven's Last. Yeah, oh, I mean, this okay. Craven's Last Hunt came out in 1987. This was oh, in right. 94. You're right, you're right. I, I had it in my head as... Uh, I had my dates mixed up for some reason, though this is very much post-Craven's Last Hunt. Thank you. Uh... I don't know how I, I I I think I had it in my head as this was issue 117 when I was looking at it from being Web of Spider-Man 117. Yeah. But no, you're right. Yes, this is post there. So I guess Dematis just has a an affinity for Vermin. I he just likes the guy, I guess. Yeah, uh, and then and then tr like Traveler, like so he turns him into uh Vermin again, and then Vermin like tries to attack Traveler, and then Traveler just goes sleep, and then makes him and then paralyzes <laughs> him. That that that's like hard as fuck. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's a good way to establish you know a show not tell like level of power. He can just use the force on him. I guess uses do. That's like the, that's on like him. the one. That's the one cool Traveler moment. Where he's just like sleep, <laughs> fall to the ground, paralyzed, go to, go to bed. 
Uh, elsewhere in the facility, uh, Spider-Man leaps through the complex searching for those responsible for the takeover. He does so wordlessly as he's given up on being Peter Parker in order to embrace being the Spider. More Dematis, you know, touches there. Uh, as he leaps through the facility, he remembers what brought him here, the warning from Chakra that if he did not come, Traveler would kill all the patients inside. He ruminates on this and his refusal to allow anyone to be murdered, even though Traveler had threatened to release the prisoners if they're spared. Unaware that his every move is being watched, uh, he happens on the holding cell of the Chameleon, and this is the sequence where he remembers uh, how his foe was responsible for the imposters posing as his parents recently. There was a weird little arc where he had like his parents come back as robots that was real recent at the time of publication. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though he still has feelings of revenge, he sees how the chameleon is now completely insane and considers his job done in a real, okay, dark Peter moment. Yeah, the, the chameleon moment is pretty spooky because he's like, he doesn't ha he's like saying that chameleon doesn't like have any own identity identity of his own and he's like constantly changing faces and i think that that's re that's really cool yeah it's it's a neat little sequence um driven to madness he then turns and sees carnage in his cell uh seeing someone completely lacking in morality causes spider-man to consider the pointlessness of everything and in an attempt to clear his head he scurries into another room to think uh, meanwhile, at LaGuardia Airport, uh, Mary Jane sits to board her plane to Pittsburgh so she can reconcile with her father and sister. When she hears the boarding call, MJ has cold feet and wants to go back to care for May and wait for Peter, but is stopped by Aunt Anna, who is unhappy with the fact that Peter has abandoned his wife and aunt during these troubled times. Uh, however, she insists that MJ go and visit her family, assuring MJ that she will call if there's any news about May's condition which in turn convinces MJ to go, saying she'll call as soon as she reaches her sister Gail's place. Anna assures her niece that everything is going to be okay, but as soon as the plane takes off for Pittsburgh, she begins crying. While at the hospital in Forest Hills, the clone of Peter is watching over May's bed, fighting with the implanted memories and feelings coursing through his mind and talking to himself out loud, pacing around a lot. He, uh, he fears about what will happen to May and cries at her bedside when he's interrupted by a doctor, uh, Julia Caputo. Mistaking the clone for the real Peter, she thinks Peter could use a friend, which is a very nice sentiment uh, to the troubled clone. Good little scene there. Uh, back at Ravencroft, Spider-Man continues to venture deeper into the facility. The entire time, he's being stalked by a man known as Scryer, uh, Scryer is another one of the, the nothing characters that's introduced here. I read up a little on him because I don't know a ton about him, and apparently he's like an entire cult of people that like share this identity, and the entire cult is him. It's it's shut it's, up. It's it's just more dumb bullshit. I don't I hate comic books. He he's just big scary white man. Uh sensing the mysterious figure with a spider sense. Uh, an increasingly paranoid Spider-Man calls out to this guy to show himself. Uh, rushing down a hallway, Spider-Man is blinded by a light coming through a doorway and goes to investigate it. When he gets close, the hand of Judas Traveler smashes through the glass and grabs him by the throat. Judas decides to look into Spider-Man's mind to see what he can find there and just begins to laugh. This angers Spider-Man, 
who begins to strike at Judas, insisting that he, you know, <laughs> stop this this show, this this charade of whatever is going on here. Unaffected by the blows, Traveler agrees that Spider-Man is indeed a man, albeit a broken one. Accepting this, Spider-Man crumples to a withered pile on the floor, feebly calling out to those that he's ever loved in a really pathetic little moment that I like. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see him broken on the floor like that, just mentally, not even... Yeah, it's it's interesting. Not even that beaten, just done. Um, Scryer asks Judas what the next phase of the plan is, while Spider-Man passes out on the ground. Judas tells his ally they're not quite done yet, as when he probed Spider-Man's mind, he discovered that there is another. Moments later at the hospital, the, quain, uh, the clone wakes up to his Spider-Sense, warning him of a coming danger. He is then confronted by the astral form of Chakra, uh, ghosting uh. to him again, offering him a choice. Uh, luckily, Aunt May is passed out in a coma. Stay here and let the true Spider-Man die, and you can usurp his life. Or come to Ravencroft and rescue them, the, the, the man that you are just a mere shell of, that you for all intents and purposes should hate. As this offer is being ma made, Spider-Man is being restrained and placed in one of the cells of Ravencroft. When he wakes up, he begins screaming, all chained up. Taking us to the halfway point of what we're covering today, moving on to Spider-Man number 51. I, I, I hope you liked good writing, because we're not going to see much more of it. Nope. Uh, the Peter Parker clone is standing uh, over the unconscious body of May Parker, wishing that she could hear him. Uh, saying way too much out loud, he tells her that he's not really her nephew, but a clone calling himself Ben Riley after his memory of Uncle Ben and May's maiden name. That he had nice met name. the real... What's that? <laughs> I just said, nice name. Yeah, it's better than P-Tor or like... There was a part in, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the Star Wars Expanded Universe, but there was a point in the Thrawn trilogy. Luke with two U's? Yeah, Luke. Luke. Uh, yeah, we could have gotten Peter with two E's. Or Peter. Two Peter Piarker with two A's. Uh, he, he tells me he had met the real Peter and it hadn't gone over very well. Moments earlier, he was visited uh, by Chakra and had his ultimatum laid out before him. Uh, he has to save Spider-Man's life or do nothing and take it over. Uh, however, even though he is a clone, his memories are the same as Peter's. Uh, as such, he believes that May raised them both, convincing him of what he needs to do. He pulls a Spider-Man mask and gloves out of his bag and decides to go to Ravencroft and save Spider-Man's life. Not long after he's left, the nursing station gets an alert that May Parker is flatlining. Her doctor rushes into the hospital room and discovers that May is still alive, but a cable from the heart monitor came loose. As they reconnect it, they notice that, quote-unquote, Peter is no longer in the room and nobody saw him leave. Ooh. Ooh. I like little Spider-Man moments like that. I know they're silly, but it's... it's yeah, neat. they're fun. I, I, that was one of the... The one of the few notes I had for this issue was I liked the little monologue in front of May where he's talking about the brooding. I like the brooding that uh, was in the last issue too from Ben. Uh, mm -hmm. And then and then that the little moment's fun. I was like, when they do that. Uh, from that moment, the Spider Clone is swinging across the city, realizing he can't resist playing hero. Uh, he wonders if he'll die this time around and finally put his suffering to an end in a nice little emo monologue. 
While at Ravencroft, Judas Traveler watches Spider-Man from his cell and is unimpressed with what he's seeing. He's joined by his assistant, Mr. Noct, who informs him that Chakra contacted the Spider-Clone and he may be on his way. He tells Noct to go send out Boone and Medea to go outside and provide a suitable greeting for their guest. A uh, short time later, the Spider-Clone arrives outside Ravencroft and sees the psychic barrier around the institution. Although the barrier is keeping the authorities and the press away, Ben is surprised when he's able to pass through it untouched. On the other side, his spider sense warns him just in time to leap out of the way of a shot fired at him by Medea. Uh, she has some stupid little banter with Boone about uh, how Spider-Man needs to be taken in alive and, you know, stop trying to fucking murder him so much. Or you're going to get your shit wrecked by Judas. Back inside, Spider-Man struggles to get free so he can stop Traveler from killing or setting free the other inmates. However, Judas is still flooding his mind with images. In his mind, Spider-Man is caught in a massive web surrounded by various foes and loved ones. He tells them all to go away and leave him alone. When is, uh, that's when he's joined by a vision of his clone who offers to help Spider-Man fight everyone off. Watching Spider-Man struggling with all of this in his mind, Traveler begins to wonder what kind of man Spider-Man really is. Meanwhile, Ben Riley manages to slip past Medea and Boone and gets into the facility. However, his ability to escape doesn't last long as the pair come back inside and find him. As Ben continues to fight them, Spider-Man struggles with Traveler's invasive mind invasion. Uh, no matter what is thrown at him, Spider-Man continues to remind himself about the whole, you know, great power, great responsibility deal. And uh, as Ben manages defeat, to defeat his attackers and continue his hunt for Spider-Man, Spider-Man orders Traveler to get out of his mind and finally breaks free of his shackles physically, breaking out of the cell uh, before he's quickly overpowered by Judas. However, that's is this, when is, this, is this the thing when he talks about the power and responsibility are mine? That he talks yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, yeah, the power and responsibility are mine. And I'm like, that's a good moment. And then uh, Ben is like, no, they're ours. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's ours because I'm here. Ben Riley, I've come here to fight. My responsibility, uh, even though I, 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 I it's I've not, never had an uncle. It's not my It's my responsibility, even though it's not. Uh, not it, yeah, it's very much not. But thanks for your help. Uh, the pair vow together to work vow to work together to defeat Traveler once and for all, ending this issue and taking us to the penultimate part of this four issue arc, uh, the Spectacular Spider-Man 217. Oh no, no, this is the final issue of this arc, yeah. Spe Spectacular 217. Uh, having come to the Ravencroft Institute, he's uh, now facing these two Spider-Men side by side. Traveler uses his powers to make both men lose consciousness. While outside, a barrier prevents the authorities and the press from seeing what's going on, still. Among those gathered are Dr. Kafka. Uh, Wheeland is outside, I think, now, right? With Jameson and them? I don't recall. I, I don't care. I don't call, recall or care, yeah. I don't care. They, uh, no, no one in the gathering there understands why a renowned psychologist like Traveler would or could take control of the facility in the way he has. Likewise, they are concerned about Traveler's threats to kill the patients or unleash them on the public. Back inside, Judas has turned attention away from the Spider-Men to observe Cletus Cassidy, Carnage. He finds the symbiosis between the serial killer and the alien creature fascinating, uh, but his observations are interrupted by Boone and Medea, who inform him that they have placed the Spider-Men in the basement. 
Judas instructs Mr. Knox to go and uh, down to the basement and observe the experiment and take copious notes. That's when Scryer warns Judas that the barrier outside is pushing his uh, magical powers to the limits. He then tells Chakra to release the prisoners, as he had never had any intention of ever killing them. When Spider-Man and Ben Riley wake up in the basement, Spider-Man attacks the duplicate again, thinking that he's involved with Judas. Spider-Man thinks this is yet another ploy to drive him mad. He's suffering a, quite a bit of everybody wants me fucking dead and crazy I, PTSD. I had I had a note earlier where it's like the 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 shot the the where the shot where uh, Ben is like helping up Spider-Man and like they're they're ready to fight together. It's like that was a cool shot. And then immediately at the beginning of two seventeen, it's like why are they fighting again? I thought they were buddies. It's like <laughs> you're with Judas, you piece of shit. I hate I hate I hate this. It, yeah, it's it's not the best writing, but it gets worse. I promise. Uh, ben is desperately trying to convince Spider-Man otherwise, as when Spider-Man states that he uh, had his powers back in junior high, Ben reminds him that Peter didn't get his powers until high school, in a fun little bit of continuity. Uh, it just pisses Peter off further, who tells the clone to stop calling him Peter, insisting that he is only Spider-Man. Ben wonders what's wrong with Spider-Man, who has a grimmer and darker attitude than the clone remembers. But before he can get any answers, a group of Ravencroft inmates come crashing into the room. When Spider-Man savagely starts beating them, not quite pulling his punches as much as he usually does, it seems, Ben pulls him away and attempts to remind the wall crawler that he's a hero, but Spider-Man tells the clone he has no idea what tragedies he's recently endured. Ben tells Spider-Man that if the life that Peter Parker leads is so painful, he will gladly take the reins of it from him. When Spider-Man refuses, Ben begs Spider-Man to work with him to get the situation under control his way. Hearing this, Mr. Noct returns upstairs to tell Judas Traveler that the spiders are now working together in an alliance. That's when Medea... <laughs> but the spiders are collaborating. <laughs> you know, have you seen that episode of Always Sunny with Country Mac where he joins them and he's like, Jesus Christ, there's two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. I've never, I've never seen. Here. I've never. The only, I've only seen one episode of Always Sunny, but I've seen that that image before. Yeah, that's when Medea uh, asks if she can eliminate them, but Judas barks at her to be silent. That's when Chakra enters the room with an envelope she found that was postmarked from a week ago. Judas, How about a week ago, <laughs> it's been. Judas it's explains been. that it's yet another deception integral to the game that they play. With time growing short, Traveler tells Scryer to shut down the force field and that the rest need to prepare for their imminent departure. Outside, Kafka and the others witness as the energy barrier goes down. They're then overwhelmed with knockout gas, making everyone fall asleep. Meanwhile, MJ's on her flight to Pittsburgh to visit her family. During the flight, she's recognized by her seatmate from her role on the soap opera Secret Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as she keeps up her end of the conversation, she can't help but worry about everything Peter is going through. Suddenly, she feels the strong urge to vomit and rushes to the bathroom to throw up. Back at Ravencroft, the two Spider-Men are having to fight off the gang of inmates that ambushed them. Running upstairs to get out of the basement, they are barred by a lunatic named Wild Whip. Uh, Wild what? Whip. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> I don't, I don't I don't know if I, I I'm assuming this is a character that has shown up before in the comics. Yeah, uh, he's, he's somebody Ben fought during his exile. This is this is stupid. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he he's no big wheel. I'll give him that. No, he's no big wheel. We should have had when, big wheel in here. When Ben Riley recognizes the villain, Spider Man realizes that his clone operated as a hero in his past. Ben admits that there were some momentary exceptions to his self-imposed exile, and there are a handful of comics that do delve into those lost years. I think they're pretty dumb. I really don't like the art, and I like the writing even less, so I, I can't say I recommend them. Are you, um, are you telling me that a, that a Clone Saga comic is dumb? <laughs> believe it or not, I am. Uh, this is truly the attack of the clones, of the it's franchise sanity. in more than one way. Um, although they're ambushed, the pair manage to knock out Wild Whip but not before Ben notices how out of practice he is well, at the top of the at the top of the stairs. They find carnage waiting for them. And at that moment, man. Judas traveled. <laughs> yeah, it, um, I, I, I didn't remember that was his name until like at the end they say it. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, like when I was reading this issue, because most of it is like kind of boring fight scenes, my eyes were so glazed over that I didn't even really think about the name Wild Whip until you brought it up again. Nobody like workshopped that with him. He said, I'm Wild Whip. And nobody said, you want to rethink that one, Doug? It's just, OK, he's Wild Whip. Um, Judas Traveler leaves a letter in Kafka's office, finishing the scheme that he and his allies had set in motion before leaving. Back downstairs, Ben points out that they can't let Carnage get past them because he's going to murder other inmates and has claimed to already have done so. This moment of mercy uh, begins to make Spider-Man remember everything he used to stand for. Working together, the two Spider-Men manage to knock Carnage out very quickly and with little trouble. They just kick him in the face together and he's knocked out. It's, it's that easy. That's that's Carnage's weakness is being kicked in the face by two to four feet. That, that that's why he Spider-Man had to team up with uh, Venom and Maximum Carnage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like as they kick move, as they rush upstairs, the pair begin to trade quips as Spider-Man begins to lighten up. Spotting Traveler and his minions making their escape, uh, they rush outside. Spider-Man goes after Judas. His clone has a bone to pick with Boone and Medea. However, when Ben leaps inside their getaway vehicle, he discovers there's nobody inside. Suddenly, the car explodes, apparently <laughs> killing the clone. Uh, rushing inside to face Judas Traveler, very nonplussed by this. He, he just kind of goes like, oh, no, my clone is dead. Oh, well. And then just goes inside. He's not like, OK, at all. Spider-Man fails to stop his foe, who makes him pass out with another hypnotic suggestion. By this point, Kafka and the co-workers uh, wake up and rush inside to find Spider-Man blacked out on the floor. The prisoners are contained again, and they're beginning to make sense of the encounter. I'm glad somebody is. That's when Edward finds a note from Jonas, Jonas, Judas Traveler, postmarked Jonas from a Traveler. week before. Uh, opening up the note, they discover a letter from Traveler stating he couldn't make it to his scheduled appearance. Falling for this, they wonder who the man they faced really was. At that moment, Traveler and his minions are driving away in a limo. <laughs> What what was what was the point of that? What was the point of like just trying to draw attention away from him? <sighs> they, I don't think they knew what they wanted to do with him as they were writing him. To be honest, he, no, he clearly, clearly, even the time he's there, even from just these five issues uh, from the Clone Saga that I read, uh, I, I I can already tell that most of this was just like shit that was made up on the fly, and it's probably the reason why it ended up going on for two years. Yeah. Inside the car, uh, Judas congratulates them on a job well done. 
which I guess you could call it that. As Spider-Man appears to be returning to his previous value system, the arrival of the clone is intrigued Traveler as well, who notes that both figures need further observation. Back at Ravencroft, the authorities search the wreckage of the car, and they find no trace of a body inside. This leaves Spider-Man wondering if this was yet another manipulation created by Traveler. More confused than ever, Spider-Man swings off to figure it out. Meanwhile, not far away, Ben Riley is alive and well. He managed to leap out of the car before the explosion, but faked his death. He wonders what to do next, whether to remain in New York City or to continue going north in his self-appointed exile, ending the power and responsibility arc, and bringing us to the final issue that we're going to discuss in depth today, Web of Spider-Man 118, which comes directly... Wait, shut up. Shut up. I'm fucking on the Marvel wiki... And apparently this comic book, the comic book that we just covered, is the oh. only appearance in history of Wild Whip. God, not even in anything else ever. No, this is the uh, literally you just go to the, the page and it says Wild Whip only appearance. I'm officially the biggest Wild Whip fan in the world now. Dude, fucking Wild Whip. Do you think he'll be in No Way Home? God, I wish Wild Whip would like Wild. We need to make like fuck, you know, bringing back all the old uh, characters for a new Sinister Six. It should be like Big, Big Wheel, Wheel and Whip. Wild Whip, uh, and like one of the guys who steals all the Hostess fruit pies. That's great. We we just gotta find the other three. That Jesus should be the new Christ. Sinister Six. I can't believe the it. leader should be Wild, Wild Whip. Whip. That's so great. Oh my god. And how did he he just had the whip in, in the institute, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, he just had he just had his laser lash. His patented classic iconic laser lash. Abilities skilled in the use of a whip. <laughs> god damn. Thank you, Clone Saga. Web of Spider-Man web. 118 uh is the proper introductory issue of Ben Riley as the Scarlet Spider. Uh Ben Riley alive and in a weird I'm on my way out of New York exile, goes to the spider exhibit at the Museum of Natural History, cannot get his mind off of the fact that he's a clone. He sees himself as a soulless creature that, uh, with more in common with the exhibits at the museum than he does with real people. Bro, I, also, bro I get it. You think you're a freak. Fucking calm down. Eat a pizza. You poor, handsome, tall bastard with a rugged jawline and muscles and superpowers. Oh, no. Bro, literally, uh, who cares? Uh, he struggles with his uh, memories that don't belong to him, but Peter Parker. As he leaves the museum, he's upset by seeing anything that reminds him of Spider-Man, particularly a hooded sweatshirt with a spider emblem on it in a shop window. He then sees a man trying to hold up a hot dog vendor who's about to get involved when some uh, police officers bust the man. Although he has uh, once more avoided a conflict, Ben Riley still cannot shake the, the altruism uh, in his nature that was told to him by Peter with all those many years ago with uh, great power comes great responsibility, all that, you know, humdrum. <laughs> While on the Upper West Side, Venom has returned to New York City after a prolonged absence. He uh, returned to the city after hearing about the recent siege on the Ravencroft Institute by Judas Traveler. This has particularly bothered him because his quote-unquote son, Carnage, has been incarcerated at Ravencroft. And My Venom son. made the serial killer his responsibility. His attention is uh, turned to a police chase on the street below. Seeing the criminals open fire on the officers, Venom swoops in and delivers the drivers into the nearby river. Although Venom stopped the chase with a bunch of quips as well, the officers on the scene try to open fire on Venom, 
the bullets do no harm. They just are absorbed by the symbiote while he swings away. As he's going across the city, Venom f- suddenly finds himself in front of the apartment building where Gene DeWolf was shot, the event that set into motion his transformation into Venom. It also brings memories of his recent clashes with Carnage and Shriek. However, when a police car spots him, Venom decides to uh, leave and put his old ghost to rest. Meanwhile, I think we've already passed a couple of these moments. I was just so like glazed over from this discussion. Uh, the first thing was uh, like when, when Ben is in the museum and he like sees the, the hoodie like that. That's a pretty dope hoodie. I would buy yeah, that. I think so, too. Yeah. The, the and, off-center asymmetrical spider. I've always thought it was pretty cool. And and the other thing, you know, it's there's always that eternal question of, like, is Ben the clone or is, is Peter, who's really the clone? You you already know that Ben is the clone because he's wearing a Yankees cap when we all know that the real Peter Parker is a Mets fan. The Mets, baby. This is canon. This is, it's canon that Peter is a Mets fan. We all know this. Mm-hmm. So that's, you got him twisted then. But yeah, I, I, this, I, I actually kind of like this issue because it's mostly just a lot of in, internal monologue and, and Ben and Venom just kind of hitting the nostalgia oh, yeah. circuit. No, it serves as a great introductory issue for the character, like in a in a debut set stage kind of thing. Should have been that um, instead of uh, whatever the fuck uh, the last four issues were. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, at a Forest Hills hospital, Anna Watson visits with her friend May Parker, who has been in a coma since suffering a stroke. Her silent vigil is interrupted by the arrival of Betty Brant, whose arrival is a welcome surprise for Anna. Outside the window, Ben Riley sits and waits for the two women to leave so he can spend his time with May. He's surprised at how much Betty Brant has changed since uh, she and Peter Parker briefly dated. Unaware that she's being watched, Betty feels guilty for not spending more time with the Parkers and how it took the deaths of both Nick Katzenberg and Lance Bannon to make her realize how short life is. Who? Yeah, some people. She then sees something moving out the window, uh, but Ben manages to leap out of view before Betty could identify what it was. This causes Ben Riley to think how things could have gone if Peter Parker's life had went in a different direction. His thoughts of the past lead him to the ruins of the Acme warehouse uh, in a great little flashback sequence. This makes him think about the night that Peter Parker went after Uncle Ben's killer as Spider-Man. Uh, how Peter's failure to stop the burglar uh, nights earlier had led to his uncle's murder. I really, really like the recreation of those panels with like the kind of sepia tone on them, uh, the yep. old costume, all that. It's a good moment. Meanwhile, Venom has returned to the church where he first found his alien symbiote in a mirror <laughs> of what uh, is going on with Peter. Uh, he thinks about how Cletus Cassidy's symbiote is his responsibility to destroy He is, however, conflicted because killing the Carnage symbiote would be like killing part of himself. Troubled by the memories that the church stir up, the uh, Venom quickly leaves, unaware of the fact that he's been spotted by a reporter looking to get an exclusive about Venom's return to New York. By this point, Ben Riley has arrived at the Brooklyn Bridge, where he is reliving the memories of the day Gwen Stacy was murdered by the Green Goblin. His thoughts of the tragedy are interrupted when a spider sense detects someone on a parapet across from him. He spots a woman just as she is about to commit suicide leaping off of the bridge. Not wanting to see a history repeat, Riley puts on his web shooters and swings down, rescuing the woman before she can hit the water. He then rushes her to a nearby hospital, but leaves before the doctor can get a statement from him. And another little, ooh, Ben Riley moment. I th- uh, I think this this whole idea of Ben wanting to like leave New York, but he just keeps getting pulled into like new uh, 
opportunities to like be a hero and save people. I think that's like an interesting story concept. And it's probably the reason why this is the other issue that I like. Yeah, no, I, uh, I also enjoy this one the most besides the, uh, Dematis issue. It's, I, especially the ending it, it is the another part one of a four-part arc but this is the one that matters um yeah. ben is on a rooftop thinking about what he needs to do next with his life that's when he overhears a radio report about venom's return in, into new york city having heard about venom in the news he wonders why spider-man never took the maniac down and decides that he's going to do something about it after a quick stop at the museum gift shop Ben Riley returns to his newly rented apartment where he puts together a new costume, including a full red bodysuit and mask with the ripped hoodie on top of it, uh, the spider emblem and all. He's satisfied with his new costume and its goofy ankle leather pouches, so he leaps out, determined to take down Venom once and for all, which is the end of the issue. And uh, we get the uh, the the classic uh, Scarlet Spider costume, which I don't like. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, I, it is super goofy. I think the bodysuit looks awful in real life. It's it's a really hard costume to cosplay. Uh, I don't know what it is about it. It's super goofy and stupid. It's got giant web shooters on the wrist, like a tube of web shooters all the way I, around it. The, the exposed web shooters are like the one part I like of this costume. The rest of it, to me, is just like way too 90s with like the, the ripped hoodie. I know. And, and <laughs> That's the, what and, I love about red. it. And the red bodysuit just kind of looks bad, especially the eyes, I think, where there's just oh, all yeah. white. It oh, reminds yeah. me of the, the black suit, but like shitty. But I, admittedly, the, the, I do like it a lot. The current costume that Ben uses, Ben is like back in the comics as Spider-Man doing Spider-Man stuff. And he has a fucking his costume that he uses right now is like hard as hell. I love it. Uh, mm -hmm. I just I put I'm it in the chat. Yeah, the that one is really, really neat. Yeah, uh, it looks it's better, it looks sick as fuck. It's separate enough from Spider-Man to be distinct, and it's not as over the top as the '90s one. I think the '90s one is iconic and emblematic. Uh, I it's, it's 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 iconic, and it's uh, you know I I am never mad if it's like in like a video game or something. Oh sure, but yeah. It just just to me, it's like eh, it's it it's, is incredible. It's, it's very much it's very it it's dated. It hasn't really aged very well, in my opinion. Precisely, it's a product of its time. Uh, as a matter of fact, the retro wave release Scarlet Spider is the only Marvel Legends figure I own. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's goofy. I love it. It's on my desk. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I think it was interesting the way they kind of adapted it with the homecoming suit with the inversion of it. Yeah. It's, it's not a suit that looks good in real life. I, I, I think, yeah, my main, my main problem with it is because the colors are inversed. It's like, that's not how I should look. But yeah, that is, kind uh, uh, those are our comics. That's, uh, yeah, that's it. Alex. Uh, we're not going to immediately jump into fun facts because Alex has to briefly explain to me what the fuck else happens in this storyline. Just the, the most glancing overview I can give you to hit the notes of what happens. I'm not I'm going to stop it just about before we get to what they call maximum clonage, because that is oh my like God. a separate thing. Uh, but the rest of the, what the hell is maximum clonage. <laughs> I don't know a ton about it myself, but I know that there's even more clones in it. It's stupid. Oh, no. But uh, the clone saga, from the time Ben is introduced, um, like we've talked about, uh, beginning from June 94, the Spider-Man books consisted of, uh, at the time, Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and Spectacular Spider-Man. There was also the quarterly Spider-Man Unlimited. Uh, that's where the Mystery Man plotline started before the issues that we just read here. Ben takes over the mantle of the Scarlet Spider, and after he arrives, 
uh, a mentally unstable man named Kane shows up and challenges the two Spider-Men to a fight. Kane reveals that. Oh my God. Kane reveals that he was the result of the Jackal's first attempt at cloning Spider-Man. Something went awry in the cloning process and he developed a degenerative disease that gave him like a Freddy Krueger face. His powers are the logical extremes of what Peters can go to. Uh, For example, he was much stronger. And instead of a spider sense to warn him of danger, he had like fucked up horror movie precognitive flashes. He also had a a physical touch ability called the Mark of Cain, kind of like a proto Miles Venom strike. Uh, He would leave like a burning handprint on your face, which like bubbled your flesh and made you look all fucked up which was like a logical extension of Peter's like wall crawling. It was like a hand touch power. I don't know. Uh, It would cause a large black mark to appear on your face. Uh, And he also had to wear like a not quite like a Colonel Jupiter suit, but like a a special scientific suit to keep him like alive and stave off his disease. He had a whole complex where he hated Ben Riley and wanted to protect Peter Parker because of his like programming from the Jackal. Working together, Spider-Man and the Scarlet Spider were eventually able to defeat Kane. Uh, deciding they needed to investigate further, they revisit the Jackal's old lab. And however, to their great surprise, he's alive. Somehow, for whatever reason, instead of dying, he spent the five years since the clone had originally popped up in comic book time in a regenerator of pod so he could look like a mutated man-jackal thing. If you look him up from this time, he just straight up looks like the Joker. It's really not great. Uh, He went from sad little scientist with a crush on Gwen Stacy to mad scientist with a crush on Gwen Stacy, who also wants to kill the human race and replace all of them with genetically superior clones. So it's kind of an Amazing Spider-Man movie lizard motivation. He wants everyone to be a fucked-up genetic freak like him. My brain is turning into like a milkshake right now. Uh, He explains that the time bomb actually killed a clone of himself while he had lived on to continue his experiments. Now ready to inflict the degenerative virus on the populace, he began to put his plan into motion and commands a third Spider-Man clone named Spider-Side to keep Spider-Man, Scarlet Spider, and Kane at bay. Fortunately, they were able to defeat Spider-Side and stop Warren's mad scheme. Did they get Wild Whip involved? (laughs) Wild Whip is actually the zeroth clone of Spider-Man. Wild Whip is the seventh clone of Spider-Man. He's Dick Parker. He's Dick Parker! (laughs) Before escaping, Jackal reveals that Ben Riley was actually the original Spider-Man and Peter Parker is the clone. After conducting their own genetic test, Peter and I don't, ben know, I, don't really, I don't I don't really have to say how stupid that is because that's really stupid. <laughs> it's incredibly stupid. It was meant as a way like we've talked about it was meant as an escape rope to to try to give MJ and Peter their own story and have Ben become Spider-Man. Huge fan backlash. Nobody likes this choice. I don't like this choice either. No, it's um, a terrible idea. Peter and Ben realize that what he said was true and they're forced to rethink their lives. Peter is particularly distraught over this. This is where we get the infamous Mary Jane smack during the revelation. I'm sorry, uh, what? There, there's a moment in his like distress where MJ like goes to comfort him and he he like brushes her off really hard and accidentally like flings her across the room. It's like really Spider-Man three when he smacks her. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh like, my god. It, it, it's a real like what the fuck moment. Uh, Dude, this ben sounds is, fucking terrible. 
Ben feels that he has stolen Peter's life and decides to stop being Spider-Man. Uh, rather, sorry, Ben's stolen the life. Peter decides to stop being Spider-Man and he moves to Portland with MJ to start a more humble life. She's <laughs> also... To, he moves up to Portland. That This is give or take around the same time that they were toying with revealing that MJ was pregnant too. Uh, with him now gone, Ben moves to New York permanently to become Spider-Man. This becomes the status quo for close to a year. Then we, we get we get the, the dope uh, Ben Rowley Spider-Man suit that I love so much. Uh, however, when Jackal reappears, Peter moves back to New York and works with Ben to investigate. Eventually, they find the criminal and have another explosive battle. However, they would experience a huge shock when the long thought dead Norman Osborn reveals himself. I did explains that he had secretly been manipulating the events all along. Oh, Norman, them, I can't I can't stay mad at you. He tells them he had switched the test results and that Peter was really the original Spider-Man and Ben is the clone. <laughs> at first, they're not sure if they should believe the Green Goblin. However, after a climactic battle with the criminal, Ugh. Ben is stabbed by the Goblin's glider and dies. As he breathes his last breath, his body disintegrates, succumbing to a degenerative genetic disorder that all of the clones suffered from, proving without a shadow of a doubt that Peter is the original, and after defeating Norman, he returns as the one and only Spider-Man. Does MJ just, like, still live in Portland? I, I think she came with. I think it was like a we-need-to-be-back-even-temporarily kind of thing. I, th- I think that is, that is give or take the end of what the, the greater clone saga is considered to be. And, and, like, don't they make MJ have, like, a miscarriage or, like, have, the like, the baby die in, birth, like, childbirth? So, uh, something like that, if I remember correctly. I do have a bit of trivia about that as well. Oh, my God. This is, like, the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's bits. I mean, of you know, I I love I love I love to see a classic Norman Osborn pulling this. Like, you know, I I hate the the Star Wars prequels because they treat Emperor Palpatine as like this like super duper mastermind who always knows what's going on and pulls all the strings secretly. And I hate mm-hmm. it in that, but I kind of love when Norman Osborn does it because Nor- I do- Norman Osborn is just a silly little guy. Yeah. I think a lot of the 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 drive to make Norman the guy that was behind it all stemmed from the idea of people hating uh, Traveler as a new villain. But past that, um, when Kane was introduced, I want to say he killed Dr. Octopus at some point. And a lot of people were like, how are you going to have this new guy you're going to have around for so little time kill an OG like that? So I guess they wanted to redeem themselves for that, too, by having Storm and Norman be behind everything. I don't know. The kill Doc Ock. I, I uh, obviously he came back. Oh yeah, everyone comes back. Um, ben Riley himself comes back eventually. Multiple times. Ben Riley dies and comes back to life multiple times. It, it's just a thing. But I that like, is I like where the only, I feel like the only person in the, like the mainline Spider-Man comics that hasn't died and come back to life is Spider-Man. Yeah, pretty much. They've just faked that because he a few dies. Times. He dies in the Ultimate Comics. That's why Miles uh, shows up. Uh, but then there's, you know, there's a Peter clone that shows up in the Ultimate Comics. Yep. It's, and Ultimate itself has its own clone saga thing that that is not great. It's pretty stupid. I've yeah, I've 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 heard of that. I know that like the Spider Woman uh, in the Ultimate Universe is a, is a female clone of Peter. Uh, the moral of the story is here. Uh, before we go into the fun facts, uh, the moral of the story here is that. 
clones are stupid. Don't make <laughs> stories with clones in them. Yeah, it's it's an idea that almost always does not translate from the idea stage to the final good product stage, be it be it Star Wars, be it Spider-Man, clones just tend to muddy things up. I say this as a uh, Clone Wars apologist, but I'm talking in the broader sense of like the film Attack of the Clones and stuff like that. Yeah, like uh, that, 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 that's like as much as I shit on as much as I fucking hate the Star Wars prequels, uh, you know, the idea of the Clone Wars is an interesting concept and I think it works. There just needs to be a tremendous more amount of thought behind it than what we've got with both of with with this, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Alex, uh, before we before we go too far into giving our own final thoughts on this, <laughs> uh, Alex, uh, what, are, do you, what are your what are your fun facts for the, okay. the clone saga? I've got some some fun facts and some could have beens. Uh, at one point in the writing cycle, there was no clone. And in fact, what? Peter and Ben were the same person caught in a stable time loop. What uh, the fuck? The writing team found that this went against multiple Marvel time travel rules, and it was decided <laughs> that someone someone was needed who could plausibly ignore those rules. Scryer was originally going to be Mephisto and was going to trick Peter into oh. going back in time and becoming Ben Riley in order to gain the soul of Judas Traveler, who would have been revealed to be a fallen angel. This I'm was nixed for my eyes out. <laughs> this was nixed for many of the same complaints that have come up against one more day. Because stupid as fuck. Uh, uh, that sounds that sounds absolutely terrible. I thought it was when you said that they they weren't going to be it wasn't going to be a clone. I thought it was going to be like that. Peter had like a psychotic break and like there's like a multiple <laughs> personality thing. Is Ben Riley in the room with us now? <laughs> exactly. Uh, the uh, mini arc final adventure was supposed to retire Peter as a superhero and MJ give birth to their daughter before the final issue was completed. Everyone involved knew Peter would resume being Spider-Man. So Marvel wanted the mini to end with MJ having a miscarriage. Editor Tom Brevoort refused uh, the life of Riley, which is a publication even quoted him as saying, there's no way in hell I'm going down in the history in history as the man who killed Spider-Man's baby. <laughs> Dude, comic uh, books fucking suck. Yet another one here is that uh, Eddie Brock was originally going to replace Peter as Spider-Man. Shut up! As a way to bury the hatchet between their rivalry and allowing Ben to continue under the Scarlet Spider moniker. The reasons for not doing this uh, was because they were scared of separating Eddie from the Venom persona after much success with it. And thank God it was for because that. it's stupid as fuck. Uh, the Clone Saga began in 94 and lasted all the way to uh, close to the beginning of 97 across every single Spider-Man comic. That meant that for over three God. years, there was no possible way to read a Spider-Man comic that did not involve clones. Back in the 90s, that if you wanted to see a Spider-Man story but were sick of clones, you could only watch the cartoon to get away with it. Uh, but in its final season, the 90s cartoon did introduce some Clone Saga elements but left them isolated to specific storylines instead of being an overarching plot. Dude, being a Spider-Man fan from like 94 to 96 sounds like the most miserable experience like ever. That's what I was born into. I was born in March of 96 and this is the that world. That sounds fucking like nightmarish. I can't imagine. It's bullshit. Uh, lastly, I have an interesting one here that's halfway trivia, halfway could have been. Uh, it, it, I thought you'd want to hear this, though. This is something interesting I found only this morning. 
Uh, while we may never know for sure what would have happened in Mark Webb's third outing of the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Yes! Uh, there, have been, there have been comments made by Dennis Leary that raise the possibility that the third film might have opened the floodgates of some kind of cinematic clone saga. Leary said in an interview that there was a discussion of Peter in the movie either creating or ingesting a chemical during an experiment that led to the quote-unquote resurrection of loved ones in his life, presumably let's... Captain Stacy, Gwen Stacy, Peter's parents, and Uncle Ben. It Dude, is somewhat let's possible... go! It is somewhat possible that these could have been genuine resurrections, but if the, clo- if the writers were looking to the comics for inspiration, it's likely that they could have been clones as well. Presumably, this cinematic clone saga would have involved the ethical problems of what happens when loved one clones are brought back. Of course, Amazing 3 never made it into production, but it's highly possible this clone storyline would have been swept aside since early days of production involve a lot of possibilities being hit back and forth. But it seems that it might have been on the table. I firmly believe that if they had made a Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 3, it would have, they would have somehow made it worse than the second one. Like oh, they, I firmly believe that. They they could absolutely they could have absolutely hit it out of the park and made just the worst movie anyone has ever seen. Mm-hmm. No, that could have been the be all end all killer of the franchise, I think. And like I had I had obviously heard of this. That's why I reacted so positively to it, it was because I'd heard this story before and it sounded fucking awful. Uh but yeah. Bad movies. <laughs> And that that's going to wrap it up for my trivia segment there. Woo. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess we can go into our, our sort of our overall thoughts on this, uh, this clone saga adventure. Uh, I, I'll go first. Cause I'm the, the neophyte here by all means. Uh, uh this was bad. <laughs> I only read what one comic that wasn't even like really related to the clone saga. And then five that were a part of it. And most of them were either were just kind of boring or poorly written. Uh, and just from hearing the description of what's going on from you on the clone saga, and you didn't even get to the, the whatever the fuck maximum clonage is, which sounds terrible. It is. Uh, just it's it obviously sounds like marvel was just wheel spinning like they were stuck in the mud and they were just wheel spinning the whole time trying to figure out a way to get out of the situation they had written them the, the corner they had written themselves into uh yeah this sounds terrible what i had read was not super great uh and uh i never want to hear about this ever again <laughs> I I have a soft spot for the the beacons that shine out of the darkness of the clone saga. Like we've talked about, I I know a lot of people find the costume over the top and a product of its time. I have a soft spot for it. I think it's goofy. I like it. Uh I like Ben Riley as an idea of a character. I'm sad they don't do a whole lot to really flesh him out in the original time that we spend with him as what makes him distinct from Peter. I think that's a big problem that it suffers is he's the same character as Peter. And it's hard to have a, a story where you give too much of a shit about the same character twice like that. Um, it's it's very maligned and for very good reason. It, it meanders. It introduces a bunch of stupid shit that goes nowhere and does nothing. Um, it it for all intents and purposes, I would say outside of one more day is probably the arc people hate the most and probably maybe, right. probably maybe more than one more day and some of the diehard uh more haters of it because it lasted for so long 
probably among some of the more veteran Spider-Man fans, it probably might be more maligned. But it's probably... we're gonna we're, when we get to one more day, uh, I, I will uh, fret not. I will be the one to make the final judgment call. I I probably will catch, or maybe not. I don't know. I I I'd like to think I won't catch any flack for saying I like the Clone Saga, and I don't like it on the whole. I do recognize that it is a bad. <laughs> I, I hate to say it's a bad story because there is some in there that works as as a spider-man story the idea of uh oh shit a second spider-man how do we deal with this it's sci-fi and spider-man is at its core sci-fi um it's bogged down in in its grand operatic nature and uh i think that hurts it a lot i think it it tried so hard to set itself up as like the spider-man story of the 90s and it just it it ended up being this big bloated overstuffed mess that a lot of fans would rather forget. I think it has its moments. I think it's neat. And if you have the time and the morbid curiosity to pick it apart, it's worth reading. But you have to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, I wouldn't say it's worth it, and I can't say I would recommend it. But I would say that if you're curious, uh, try it. Try at least some of these. Even just these beginning comics that we've read on this issue serve as an introduction of what to expect. But it goes downhill very fast. Uh, what more can you say besides that it's the Clone Saga? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not the only uh, Clone Saga defender around here. I hesitate uh, to even call myself that. Maybe just appreciator. Enjoyer. Uh, but, you know, it's it's like it or not, it's a it's a part of Spider-Man history. And it's uh, unfortunately very important. Uh, people keep Marvel keeps trying to bring back the clone saga uh, partially out of, of like a tongue in cheek like oh remember when we did this fucking terrible thing uh, like I think they're trying to do a clone saga for miles and that which sounds terrible mm-hmm. uh, just on the face of it but it's uh, it's certainly something uh, but yeah, I guess that's uh, really it for what we have to say here. So, yeah, that's our show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Now, remember, if you got a question or a comment that you want us to read on next week's episode, you can send it to us at our email address, SpideySignalsPodcast at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a DM on our Twitter, at SpideySignals. Next week, for real this time, we're actually going to have a guest on. Uh, it's going to be a returning guest. If you remember last season, our episode about uh, Infinity War and Endgame, we had Alex's friend, uh, filmmaker named Brian Alexander on board to talk about that. But we're going to talk about something that's more in his lane. Uh, the 1978 to 1979 Toei Spider-Man show. Spider-Man has a car. He's got a giant robot with a sword. Uh, the The planet Spider is involved. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, do we have an idea of, of what episodes we're watching? I don't know. I thought we were going to have Brian pick those out. Has he even he does, seen the show? He's seen a good solid chunk of it. Uh, I will, I'm going to touch base with him and we're going to figure out uh, a solid number of episodes to, to get under our belts to discuss. We're going to, we're going to figure something out, but that's what we're doing next week. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, I I'm a as we're going to get into it in the next episode. I'm a really big fan of uh like Tokusatsu and those those sorts of Toei shows. Uh and I'm a, I'm going to be fucking in my element. 
and it's gonna be fun to have Brian on on board. Uh, but yeah, until then, stay responsible. Oh, bye. And uh, I got nothing. I don't have anything funny to say this time. Jesus Christ. How embarrassing. <laughs> I'm too busy reading the clone saga. Get the bomb, get the bomb, get the spy, the bomb.